You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is Vancouver restaurants in peril, tipping culture out of control, and the constitutionality of the BC NDP's public safety legislation, plus Margaret's predictions for 2024. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and Happy New Year. Good morning, then, Karen, and Happy New Year to you as well. Now, as 2023 came to an end, several iconic restaurants in Vancouver ended their tenure, shutting down permanently. Is this just business as usual? It certainly seems like every week we're hearing of another closure, and uh, that's taking quite a hit. Um, Restaurants are taking a hit, workers are, and I think the vibrancy and richness of our culinary scene uh, in Vancouver and, uh, frankly, across the province of British Columbia uh, is uh, currently quite a bit of peril. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I think just a couple of weeks ago, my favorite taco joint, Taco Mio, uh, announced that after about a decade in Vancouver, uh, it was closing its doors. Uh, and you know, it's one of my one of my favorites. Uh, you know, many fond memories of uh, starting to work downtown, my first real office job, and uh, you know, uh, going there for lunch with my colleagues. And uh, you know, it, it, it's it's sad to see that. Uh, we know, in a, in a general sense, that uh, restaurants do often close, but. Uh, experts from the restaurants industry are saying that this is truly an unprecedented rate of closures. And there's a lot of factors at play here. You know, other uh, recent one that uh, came to mind for me in my neighborhood is Rodney's Oyster House uh, in Yaletown, closing its doors as well. Um, and the restaurant industry is pointing to a bunch of different factors. You could say it's a perfect storm, labor shortage, cost of supplies, the rent is often way too high, and unlike residential uh, rents, uh, you know, landlords can just hike that up as much as they want, uh, you know, within the context of uh, getting to the end of a lease, of course, but uh, nevertheless, those do need to get renewed. Uh, other factors are debts sustained during the pandemic when uh, public uh, health measures had many restaurants unable to uh, make much money or serve much of the public. Um, and then on top of that, issues with permitting, uh, approvals, uh, and, you know, all sorts of uh, challenges coming from both municipal uh, governments and the provincial government. Um, in fact, we hear that over 50% of restaurants in B.C. are just breaking even or they're actually losing money. And that's ultimately not a sustainable number. Um, I think this really, really emphasizes some of the challenges we've had coming out of the pandemic. Um, and in a sense, because most of us eat out, uh, most of us have experience, uh, you know, either it's a special occasion or you know, for, for many of folks I know, uh, it's, a, it's a way to sustain our diet when we don't know how to cook very well. Um, it, it, it does take a hit, and it takes a toll. Uh, service industry is a major employer in this province. Um, and as a whole, I would almost look at what we're seeing with restaurants um, as a bit of an economic uh, indicator. Uh, you know, things are tightening across the, the economy, and our need to create a new economic activity, new investment, new opportunities for people to have jobs that enable them to support their families. Um, The case for that is just getting more intense. And I really hope that uh, senior decision makers at all levels of government are looking at this crisis pretty seriously. You know, you can come up with targeted solutions that support just restaurants and hospitality. They certainly should. Uh, And there's a couple of uh, challenges that I've mentioned uh, there that can be addressed by regulatory efficiency and, uh, you know, specific supports for debt relief. Um, but more generally, I think there's an economy-wide piece here that uh, needs to be given enhanced focus, particularly in the lead-in to the 2024 provincial election that's just coming up. 
Now, as for tipping, we've all been seeing fairly eyebrow-raising suggested tip amounts pop up on payment terminals across BC. What's happening here? Yeah, I felt like in the span of uh, less than 24 hours, um, I I scoffed and rolled my eyes uh, far more than I usually do when I get to a payment terminal. And uh, like most people, I basically stopped using cash. Um, One of the major ways in which I conduct my business around town is uh, just tapping my card. Um, And when uh, the first thing you see is truly an eye-watering sum, it may cause some some concern, uh, particularly if you feel the social pressure to tip a lot. And as a case just to, you know, give you an example of this particular issue, I got into a cab the other day, um, and the first option for a tip was 30%, hmm. 30% of the total fare. Um, I thought I was imagining it at first. Um, and then later in the day, I, uh, you know, get takeout somewhere, and uh, they're suggesting a 25% tip as the first option. Now, this isn't just unique to Vancouver or British Columbia. Uh, we're hearing stories about this all across North America. And um, one of the ways um, I think uh, folks that see this issue evolving over time are describing it isn't just, you know, a cash grab from, uh, you know, business operators or uh, even, you know, we could say service workers. Um, no, it's an attempt uh, for them to... Um, stay current, uh, ensure that uh, they're, you know, doing the best they can to keep costs low for consumers as the cost of delivering uh, goods and services goes up, um, while also trying to offset uh, increase in labor costs. Um, so there's there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, I personally am going to have mm, a really tough time, you could say, <laughs> justifying uh, paying more than the standard 15 to 20 percent. Um, you know, if the service is really good, maybe I would consider going above 20. Um, but I feel like for me that would be a stretch. And ultimately these are structural factors that um, everyone from the public to the private sector, the decision makers across these sectors, need to work out, uh, passing the cost on to consumers through social pressure. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think that's fair. And I hear a lot of people, uh, you know, griping and sniping about it. So um, certainly hope that uh, uh, members of the public who are already feeling pinched aren't being taken for a ride by uh, this increased pressure to tip more, and that we can actually address some of the root causes that are, are driving this uh, this trend that we're seeing. I agree with you, Margareta. This is definitely a topic that we talk a lot about here on our show. Now, moving on to the next, a BC Supreme Court justice has placed an injunction on the BC NDP's legislation banning drug use and public safety. Where is this going to lead, in your opinion? That's dramatic, but it is a constitutional crisis in the making, and um, essentially just to get folks up to speed on what's going on here. Um, earlier this uh, this past year, the BC NDP, after sustained pressure from um, the public, from uh, public safety experts, uh, from police, from you know many others who have just been concerned by what they perceive as an increase of disorder and uh, scary disorder on the streets sometimes, uh, to introduce legislation uh, banning uh, drug use in public spaces uh, like parks, near schools, um, movie theaters, uh, you know, there's there's a real tension here because for many years, British Columbia, in particular Vancouver, um, has been a place where more liberal values around uh, drug use, um, drug consumption, and support for drug users uh, have become pretty normal. Uh, you know, it's part of the West Coast brand in a certain sense. And when it comes to advocating for the rights of people uh, who have substance use issues, um, Vancouver municipal leaders over many years um, have, have led the nation on this. 
um, there's been an understanding that these kinds of policies have likely uh, prevented uh, many overdoses. They've actually supported people from a position of recovery, um, and they've tried to mitigate some of the harm that's being caused by uh, an increase in toxic drugs in the drug supply. Um, but a lot of members of the public are not drug users. Um, and I think they're, even though as a general uh, rule, British Columbians and Vancouverites are a lot more sympathetic uh, to people with addictions, um, there's still sort of a sense that I hear from just talking to people around me that um, they, they, they've had enough with, the, with some of the consequences of uh, untreated uh, substance use issues. Um, and you just see that if you go for a walk in downtown Vancouver and many downtown hubs, um, you know, people, people are in trouble. They have mental health issues. Um, they're not getting treatment for. Uh, they have challenges with, uh, with housing, um, you know, job security, uh, often even a you know, distant, uh, distant thought uh, for someone who's in the midst of an active uh, uh, drug addiction. Um, and uh, since the uh, kind of dawn of uh, imports of um, drugs like fentanyl, um, of course, illegally, uh, onto the, the west coast of British Columbia, um, we've seen just this sharp and dizzying rise in overdoses. Um, and that's affecting everyone. You know, there's a very marginalized, very visible uh, chunk of the population um, that is often the first to fall victim to things like this. And then there's people in communities, uh, in careers, in social demographics, all across the province, coming from all walks of life, um, who do use drugs who are affected by this. Um, so that's just a bit of context to say that uh, a B.C. Supreme Court justice has said um, that the provincial government's legislation is not constitutional. Uh, they've actually granted an emergency injunction delaying its implementation until March 31st of this year. Um, and I think ultimately what we're seeing is the beginning of uh, this becoming an even bigger election topic for 2024. Uh, party leaders, uh, including Premier David Eby, are going to be evaluated um, on their credibility on this topic because the public has had enough. And, um, you know, government has options like invoking perhaps the notwithstanding clause, um, you know, a, a little bit of a backdoor that's been built into the Canadian Constitution to say, no, this is in the public interest and we're going to do it. So really remains to be seen what happens, but it's a showdown between, you know, modern West Coast values and I would say new expectations from the public about what they want to see on the streets. Margaret, finally to cap us off, what are your top predictions for 2024? Yeah, I'll keep this one pretty tight. Uh, first of all, as current trends are proceeding, and uh, this is not a, uh, uh, kind of a normative statement, I, I think this is just an assessment of where we are with the political reality, I think that David Eby is on track to win the election uh, and to do so with more seats than he has right now. Um, and we're seeing a couple of different things happen here. I'm excited to see what the end of Q4 2023 fundraising numbers look like for all the political parties, but polling seems to be indicating that the BC Conservatives, uh, which until recently were, you know, a fringe, distant uh, party with uh, no MLAs, uh, may be very much on the ascendant, uh, could very much be challenging uh, BC United, formerly known as the BC Liberals, uh, for opposition status. Uh, BC United, in contrast, seems to be struggling. The rebrand has not gone off without a hitch, and uh, of course, we're just seeing challenges with uh, with branding and all of these topics, and the BC NDP has uh, definitely had some unpopular decisions, but they've also, um, in the eyes of many, taken the right approach uh, on a good number of files, uh, which translates to political popularity. So for now, that's my prediction. Let's see if that changes. Second one, I think housing prices are going to stabilize. 
Uh, and that's uh, in large part the result of policies that the BCNDP has actually led on. Um, you know, maybe not fantastic for those who are uh, homeowners deeply invested in this, looking to see the value of their homes rise sharply. But for those who have large mortgages, who have been hit by interest prices, um, who are looking to purchase um, and would likely be hit by those factors, um, this is actually a, a good thing. And hopefully, I, I think, uh, someone of a, from a generation of renters, this translates to rental prices stabilizing. Um, third prediction, uh, pretty, pretty clear at this point, I'd say, but the Trans Mountain expansion um, that's going to be uh, terminating here in Burnaby and uh, up north, LNG Canada Coastal Gas Link Pipeline uh, will also finish construction. Um, we, we expect that to happen this year, um, but the prediction is that uh, we're going to have a, a real need for these workers to go and get onto new projects so that they can make use of their skills and continue to support their families and themselves. And the fourth prediction, no context to this one, but uh, I think uh, we, we've been seeing some positive signs, is that the Stanley, uh, that the Canucks should make the Stanley Cup finals this year. Uh, so a co- couple of uh, notes there, but I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how things unroll for the rest of 2024. I was going to say, I was amused by your, that one about the Canucks making the Stanley Cup finals. Like, I don't want to jinx it, because every time I get excited about the Canucks, things don't happen. So I hope Margareta, it'll happen for them. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Maybe this I, I've been hearing good things. I've been hearing good things. So that, that seems to suggest, as, as someone who doesn't follow hockey too closely, that uh, maybe I'm not capable of jinxing it. So knock on wood for that one. Okay, I'm knocking on wood right now as we speak. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You take care. You too. Bye.